I wonder if you've ever wondered why in many cultures we wear our wedding rings on our fourth finger. Have a look at this little video, please. Now, I'm pretty sure that this isn't the real reason for that tradition, okay? I'm not suggesting that. Some point back to an ancient Roman myth that the vein of love went from your heart right down your, your, your left arm right down to your fourth finger. Not true, but it was a nice idea, I guess. Uh, so this might not be the reason why this tradition came about. But this little video clip is a, is a nice little idea about the fact that our wedding rings are a symbol of a relationship that is designed to last our whole lives. But unfortunately, we know that this is not the, always the case. This isn't what always happens. It's nearly 20 years since divorce re- legislation was introduced into Ireland. After a, f- a closely fought referendum in November 1995. And since then, nearly 100,000 people have availed of this law and have gone through that painful process of divorce. In addition, there are nearly as many people who have separated without being legally divorced. But still in Ireland, actually the the divorce rate per head of population is the lowest in the whole of Europe. It's the third lowest in the world after Mexico and Chile. And it's roughly a third of what it is in the UK and a sixth of what it is in the US. Over in the States, according to Barna, a research company, they say that among those adults who have married, 33% have experienced at least one divorce. A third of the married population of the States have have been divorced. It's a sad reality that in our world, many marriages don't last till death do us part. A church bulletin had the following announcement. Church rummage sale. Good opportunity to get rid of anything not worth keeping, but too good to throw away. Don't forget your husband. (laughs) Hopefully you wouldn't think like that, ladies. But in his Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls us to be different. We're going to read from Matthew chapter 5, verse 31 down to verse 32. Just two short verses just at the start. And I know this is a very highly emotive issue for many of us. And maybe even a painful issue for some. And the last thing that I want to do is is condemn anybody or add to your pain. But I think it's so important that we listen as Jesus calls us to a deeper level of faithfulness and commitment. One that reflects God's design for marriage. So Matthew chapter 5 and verse 31. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Clearly we know that the issue of divorce is a a deeply divisive issue. I wasn't here at the time, but some of you might remember that when Ireland voted on this back in, in 1995, the result was 50.3% for and 49.7% against. It was such a close-run referendum. And even among Christians, there have been differing views. 
from those who refuse it on all grounds to those who accept it as, as a painful but unnecessary thing in our lives. Back in the States again, Barna states that although the rate of divorce among those who are committed evangelical Christians is lower than the general population, it still stands at something like 26%. So many Christians who accept it as necessary. And this issue was controversial even in Jesus' day. It was a hotly debated topic. Although in the Greek and Roman world, divorce was easy and it was very common for men to achieve, Jewish teaching on the importance and the strength of marriage was much greater. The last book of the Old Testament stated, I hate divorce, says the Lord God Almighty of Israel. There was an understanding that marriage was supposed to be for life. But divorce and remarriage was accepted in Jewish teaching in some situations. This is what Jesus probably referred to when he said, it has been said anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. Here in verse 31. And this idea probably comes from the law of Moses. Back in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, verse 1 and 2, it says this. If a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from his house and if after she leaves his house she becomes the wife of another man, and it goes on. And so the rabbis took from that that a man had to go through certain procedures before he could divorce his wife. This was to protect them. So husbands just couldn't abandon their wives. They just couldn't kick them out of their house just in the spur of the moment. There's also legal procedures for women so they could divorce their husbands. But it was much harder for them to do that. But the controversy arose as to the acceptable grounds for a divorce. The law mentioned divorce if the husband finds something indecent about her. But what did that mean? Well, the conservative Rabbi Shammai and those who followed him believed that this meant an act of unfaithfulness, of adultery. They taught that divorce was permitted only when a partner has been unfaithful. But the more popular interpretation was one taught by Rabbi Hillel. He took a much more relaxed view on what could be indecent. could be anything from her being a, a bad cook to burning the dinner. Or even if he found someone younger or more attractive. You'd understand why that was more common or more popular, that idea. So the question in Jesus' day wasn't so much about whether divorce was permitted or not. Rather it was on what grounds divorce was permitted. And so later in Matthew, if you want to turn your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 19... Some Pharisees came up to Jesus to test him. And in verse 3 it says this. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? They were basically asking him to declare which side of the controversy Jesus stood. 
divorce only in response to unfaithfulness or for any and every reason including burning the dinner but Jesus response to this question is really interesting because instead of immediately entering into this debate about divorce Jesus went right back to God's original design for marriage look at verse 4 of Matthew 19 haven't you read Jesus replied that at the beginning the creator made them male and female this goes back to the creation account way back in Genesis chapter 1 verse 27 God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them As human beings, we are all God's creation. Whether we are male or whether we are female, it is God who designed us. God who formed us. God who gave us life. And so our differences aren't a mistake. Or neither are they the product of billions of years of evolution. Nor are they the result of just cultural pressures. Rather our differences are part of God's original design. For men and women to be different from each other. And I'm sure I don't need to tell you that we're different. But to be complementary to each other. To complement each other. And together we reflect God's likeness. In who we are. In caring for this world. And in fellowship with him. Male and female are both together made in the image of God. And we reflect that image together. So marriage between a man and woman is also God's design. Jesus continued, verse 5. And said, he's For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. Again going back to Genesis. Genesis chapter 2 this time, verse 24. It declared that God's design for marriage is that of a public commitment between one man and one woman. To publicly and decisively leave their old lives behind with their parents. To become united together in a new, loving, supportive relationship. And to become one flesh. Without losing their identity or their uniqueness, they are joined together in every aspect of their lives. To share their lives together. Jesus went on to emphasize this in the next verse when he said, So they are no longer two, but one. Marriage is an exclusive relationship between one man and one woman joined together in the closest of all human relationships. Only in marriage do two become one. And it's also a permanent relationship. Verse 6, Jesus continued, Therefore what God has joined together, let man not separate. I think this is a really crucial verse for us to understand. 
Marriage is not just about two people deciding to live together. Neither is it really about a legal ceremony or a bit of paper that you sign. Marriage is a miracle of God's work where he brings two people together. What God has joined together. Marriage is God's work. In that sense, every marriage is made in heaven. And if that's the case, then nobody has the right to destroy it. It really is for as long as we both shall live in God's sight. This is God's design for marriage. But this raises an obvious question. One that the Pharisees asked Jesus right there. Verse 7 of Matthew 19. Why then did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce? If divorce is not God's design, why did God's law have regulations about it? I think it's an obvious question, isn't it? Well, look at Jesus' response. Verse 8 of Matthew 19. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Divorce is never God's desire. Never ever what God wants. Rather it occurs because of our sinful and selfish natures and the hurts that we cause each other. And so contrary to the idea of the Pharisees, The law never commanded a man to give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away. Instead, Deuteronomy 24 was written to regulate what already was happening. When we read it carefully, we can see that it it was stated that if somebody found something indecent about their wife, and if they divorced her, and if she remarried, And if she got divorced again, then her first husband who divorced her is not allowed to marry her again. That's what it says. The basic message was not to encourage divorce, but it was to prohibit remarrying one's divorced partner. Now the reason for this command isn't given in the law. So we can't be dogmatic about it. But maybe it was that if a man declared that he found something indecent about his wife and that was grounds for his divorce, then it was also grounds for him not to marry her again. If it was so bad that he had to divorce her, then it was so bad that he couldn't marry her again. Or maybe it was to warn a husband against making a hasty, in the spur of the moment decision. Divorcing your wife isn't something you take lightly because you can't ever take it back again. It's a serious issue. Whatever the reason for this law, what is clear is that the law did not command divorce. Instead, it was restricting remarriage in certain cases where divorce had already taken place. I think we can be clear from what the Bible says. Divorce is never God's desire. And so Jesus concluded, verse 9, I tell you the truth, 
I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. And that's basically the same as what Jesus said here in the Sermon on the Mount, isn't it? When we read it in verse 32 of chapter 5. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. If marriage is an exclusive and permanent union, and as we saw last week, sexual intimacy outside of that marriage is adultery, then anyone who breaks their marriage through divorce and marries someone else is committing adultery in God's sight. Although legally, in the eyes of the state, they're divorced. In God's sight, they're still married. Now Jesus is not saying that a second marriage after divorce can't be happy or can't be fruitful. But he is saying that such a marriage can't bear testimony to the one woman, one man, lifelong relationship that marriage was designed to be. Of course, you'll have noticed, won't you, that there's an exception in both of those passages. A little phrase that's repeated in both Matthew 19 and Matthew 5. Except for marital unfaithfulness. Now, there are loads of different ideas about what this means, okay? So if you disagree, you can come up and chat with me afterwards, but please don't fall out with me. I think the the most straightforward understanding of this is that if a marriage breaks down because one partner cheated, then the innocent partner is free to divorce their spouse and remarry without sinning before God. In that case, the marital unfaithfulness has in already, in a sense, broken that marriage covenant through their act of unfaithfulness. I think Paul teaches something very similar in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 when he's talking about a situation where A Christian is married to somebody who's not a Christian. He says in verse 15 of that chapter, if the unbeliever leaves, let him do so. A believing man or woman is not bound in such circumstances. That's because the husband or wife who has abandoned them has broken that marriage covenant. So God will never blame the person who's been left. Now, I think we would think of maybe some other situations where separation is required, wouldn't we? In cases where there's violence or where there's abuse or where there's other kinds of destructive behaviour. But what Jesus is teaching here is that whatever our society says, God's standard of marriage, it's that, that it's a permanent and exclusive relationship that God forms And so we should never break. Marriage is that precious to God. Now this was shocking to the people who first heard it. I can't help but smile when I read this next verse in Matthew 19. When the disciples heard Jesus' response to the Pharisees, they said, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it's better not to marry. I'm not sure what that says about the state of their marriages. What they thought, if I can't get out of this, I wish I'd never entered into it in the first place. But as we've seen, marriage is a gift from God. 
And Jesus' teaching here is to protect it and to bless it. It helps us to understand the true nature of divorce, that it's so incredibly destructive because it's literally tearing two people apart. That God is united together. That's why it's so emotionally destructive and painful process. Because those two who have become one are trying to become two again. But it also helps us to create the necessary environment for our marriages to work. Because marriage is tough. Please don't tell Lorna that I said that. But marriage is tough, isn't it? It's difficult. There are so many pressures on our marriages, especially today. Two become one, and yet they're still individuals with their own ideas and their own thoughts. And so we need all the help we can get to to make it work. And so God has protected marriage by declaring it as exclusive and permanent. That covenant that we make with our husband or our wife before God is not a prison to restrict us. Rather it's us building a fence that protects our hearts. And it gives us the security to build meaningful and satisfying relationships. It is a safe place where intimacy and openness and vulnerability can develop. God says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. He commits himself to us with complete faithfulness and trustworthiness. And he wants our marriages to reflect his faithful love. And so bless our lives. So how should we apply these principles to our lives? Well, of course, that depends on our own individual situations, doesn't it? And so just as we finish, let me just try and summarize what I think how that means what that means for each of us in our different situations. First of all, what about those who are single? Well, Jesus answered his disciples in Matthew uh, Matthew 19 verse 11. Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. And then he went on to describe how explain that marriage is not necessarily for everyone. So here is God's standard of marriage as being a lifelong commitment with no get-out clause. And so it shouldn't be entered into lightly. Before we think about a wedding and plan all of the big day and all of that kind of stuff, we need to consider carefully whether we're willing to make and keep this covenant. Not just with our partner, but also with God. And if not, if we're not willing to enter into this kind of marriage as God has designed, then we should stay single. And of course, that's not a problem. I know society tries to give an idea that singleness is a problem to be fixed, but the Bible doesn't. Jesus came to give abundant life, that life to the full, to married people, but also to single people. In fact, as Paul said in this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he said, singleness offers freedom to serve God that's not available to those who are married. So if you believe that God has called you to singleness, 
accept that and live that life out to the full. It's not a problem to be fixed, despite how your mommy or your dad or whoever it is nags you about getting married. But what about those who are separated? Well, Paul gives us two options. Again, back in 1 Corinthians 7. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. Even in separation, God views us still as married. So even when our marriages break down, he wants us to remain faithful to our husbands or our wives. And to do all that we can to work for reconciliation. I know in many situations, this just seems impossible. But God is the expert in reconciliation. And he can do the impossible. And he calls us to join him in his work. Remember the Beatitude, verse 9 of Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. What about those who have already gone through the pain of divorce then? Well, I think it's crucial if we are divorced to remember God's amazing grace. This grace is freely given to those who have been sinned against by others. If we've been forsaken by those who should have stood with us all through our lives, then we can come to the one whose love is unfailing, unending, and unconditional. And who promises, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And we can stand on that solid ground of knowing that we are loved and valued and precious in God's sight, despite what other people have done or said. But that grace is also freely given to those who have sinned against others. Whatever we have or haven't done, we've just celebrated that the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Divorce doesn't exclude anyone from full participation in the fellowship or service of his church. Divorcees are not second class citizens in God's sight. Through repentance and forgiveness, we can still live a life that's honouring and pleasing to God. God's grace really is that amazing and that outrageous. And then finally, to those of us who are married. In one sense, it's a simple message. An encouragement to stay married. This was the advice of Henry Ford, the founder of the the head of the Ford Motor Company. When asked at his 50th wedding anniversary for his rule for a long and happy marriage, he said this, just the same as in the car industry, stick to one model. (coughs) On our wedding day, we enter into a permanent, exclusive relationship with our spouses and we need to honour them and God by being faithful to them. But I think more than this, it's not just about staying married. It's also recognising how important our marriage is to God. Marriage is God's design. And it's his work in us, his miracle in us, that has joined us together with our husband or our wife. And so we need to do everything we can to express our love, our commitment, 
our faithfulness to our partners. So Paul wrote in Ephesians 5, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Marriage is such a precious gift. And we need to do everything that we can, not just to make ours survive, but to make ours thrive. So folks, whatever our society thinks about marriage, Jesus calls us to a higher standard. As God's people, we are called to honour God's design for marriage. So I pray that God would help us to value it and to protect it and to be faithful to each other just as God is faithful.